0: Would you please turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to one of the last pages of the scriptures as canonized between your leather-bound cover to the letter to um, the church by John. Actually, it would be the second letter, so 2 John this morning, 2 John. The title of the message today is The Sisterhood of the Church of Christ, The Sisterhood of the Church of Christ. This sermon is a sermon that I have to confess I'm preaching for the second time. I usually don't preach messages again. I don't make those same mistakes twice. But I preached this message to our brothers and sisters in the Lord and Nisna at Cornerstone Fellowship a couple weeks ago, and I intended, full well intended, to preach it to both churches this morning for our encouragement as we look into the Word of God at the Sisterhood of the Church of Christ. So I hope that. Uh, the Spirit, I know that the Spirit will bring to us truths that are both unique to our fellowship and, and also common to both churches. Uh, this morning, our desire is to look at this common grace that Jesus Christ has given to all of his church, and then also the unique instruction and counsel and comfort that's given to individual churches like Providence or like Cornerstone Fellowship in Nysnaw. In and so this morning as I um, as I deliver this I'm also mindful again of, of the context of where I first delivered it. And as I began to speak to our brothers, sisters and the Lord there in Nisa, one of the things that I shared with them is that, that we would consider ourselves as a, a sister church, although they do not know us and, and we do not know them by face or by name, but that we had prayed for them faithfully and Really regularly, every Sunday, we lift their church up before the Lord. And then throughout the week, we pray individually. But corporately, we make it a, a part of our, a central part of our prayer ministry to, to take them before the throne of God. And as I shared that with them, uh, I saw a physical response as really their, their faces changed and their jaws dropped to think that, that another church would pray for them a church that they hadn't thought of, a church they didn't even really actually know about, a church they never heard of before, to think that another church would pray for them. A few responses later in the week, as I would gather with the believers again, was that they would then say, you know, the Lord spoke to me in that. Several things you said on Sunday, but one of them is, I want to pray for providence. So now we know that, I know that there are several churches in our area, by the way, that by congregation, corporately on Sunday mornings, we are prayed for. But now there's a church in Africa that's praying for us. What a special thing. Let us read together in this short letter from John. There's only really 13 verses in this. And understand what John is saying and think of this and begin to zoom in on this topic of the sister of the Church of Christ, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, peace be with us, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this love that we walk according to his commandments, this is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of the Lord Jesus in flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Thus says the word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be called children, yea, adopted and by the power of the gospel, you have transformed us to be not children of this world anymore, not children stumbling in the darkness in this kingdom of darkness, but now we have been adopted and we say, Abba, Father, Father, we come to you like children this morning, in Christ, by the Spirit, and we ask that you would lead us like children, teach us how to walk, teach us how to eat, teach us how to live, teach us how to worship, and even here in this passage, even teach us how to love, Father, you promise that when your word is open, that you will bring streams in a desert. So do so in each one of our hearts this morning. Find those paths, find a way, make a path to the places of our heart that need the nourishment of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The text chiefly that we're looking at this morning is that very last verse. The children of your elect sister greet you Now, the verse prior to that, that he was saying he longed to be with them because he felt paper and ink wasn't sufficient to carry across his full weight of expression. This is a verse that is a great verse, makes it for a great verse for a Valentine's card. Guys, just tuck that away for about nine months from now and write that out. I don't want paper and ink. I just want to be with you. And it's scriptural. So you get double bonus, no, no credits to Hallmark. I think I wrote this in one of my love letters to jennifer when we were dating i was trying to be real biblical and christian about everything i'm sure that that's part of the conviction of her soul that led her to fall in love with me as the word of god did its work through the the use of such verses but this is a wonderful verse and it shows you the heart of this beloved disciple of christ john who who really did and we can understand you know we really feel like digital is just not the same you know the um zoom and facetime and emails it just we just want to be with our loved ones john considered these people the people of this church to be people whom he he loved very dearly and the way in which he addresses this is is what i would like to for us to consider this morning sisterhood sisterhood how many of you have sisters Raise your hand if you have any sisters. I see them all the way in the back. Carter's happily acknowledging he has sisters. Just wanted you to know that, girls. Sisterhood. There's a sweetness about the title of sister. Doesn't it carry something a little different than brother? There's a sweetness about that. A tenderness, a special bond. And while the New Testament scriptures use the word brother often to describe our relationship with one another in Christ, it can also be said that churches share a sisterhood in Christ. Perhaps we could think of it as individually, we're all brothers in Christ. And perhaps we could think of it also then corporately, we are sisters in Christ. So maybe we would put it this way, Christian brothers and sister churches. The reason why we are able to give one another such a special designation is because when we placed our faith and trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, we entered into a family bond which is deeper than any other family, including the family we were born into. And when we we receive the gracious work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we become united with Jesus Christ and with others who have done the same. This bond is called a union, and we are united together because of and in Jesus Christ. As a side note, as a footnote, I'd like to reference a sermon a while back that was preached here this summer in my absence in the union, the mystery of the union of Christ. Be good to listen to that again as we consider all of what Christ has done to unite us to himself and then intrinsically towards one another but one of the many ways that the Apostle Paul describes our union with other believers is by comparing our union with other believers to the human body. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink in one spirit. So Each part of the body is necessary and important, but not one is better than the other, he says. But Paul also tells us that we are united and knit together so that when one part suffers, we all suffer here individually. And when we come to the end of a very short letter written by one of Christ's disciples, John, we read something special about how one church views another church. Some have interpreted Second John to be written to, to a specific woman in the church, you know, with a name on her, with, with literal children. And many theologians and scholars uh, hold to that position. This morning, I would like to use this as a foundation and say... Say, when I I see this, and as I've studied, I take a different angle, but I still think it's justifiable by many other truths we're going to look at, that I believe he's speaking to an elect lady, and that is that the whole church is to receive this instruction, that he wasn't uh, just calling out one woman for being unloving in her church. But then her children are the people that fill the church. So the elect lady and her children... This will be from that angle that I'd like for us to consider this. So why did John write such a letter in the first place? Well, first of all, we see that John had an urgent plea. He was very urgent about what was taking place. He had heard reports that, that there, there was followers of Christ and that they were struggling to show their love for Jesus Christ. It wasn't one of the marked attributes. It wasn't high on the on the radar. The needle wasn't moving very far when the reputation of the church was was disseminating out into the community. There seemed to be a, a real sense of sort of self-centeredness. And so he was commending them, and he was telling them, he was counseling them, you need to show that you love Jesus Christ by loving one another. You need to show that you love Jesus Christ by, by following Christ, by doing what he has asked you to do, by obeying the scriptures. And he warns them, anybody who isn't teaching about Jesus Christ, the way that the apostles had delivered the teaching of Christ, ought to be rejected. Why? Because when you don't teach about Jesus Christ, you end up loveless. Don't think the two things are disconnected. It's not like he addressed the topic of love at the beginning and then said, oh, and by the way, there's some people with some false doctrines and stuff, and they're really dangerous for the church's belief, and it's really not really Christian. It's not really what the apostles delivered to it's not only that, but it is, it is in the context of this, he says, those who don't teach, cr- preach Christ, listen, listen this, might not, this might sound like really cultural woke to you, but, but this, is, this is how God's wisdom is higher than ours. If you don't preach Christ, you don't live love. If you don't preach Christ, you don't teach love. You don't love. If you, if you depart from the doctrine of Christ, you don't know what love is. That's why, he said, there are some who you ought to be careful about because they have departed from the teaching that has been delivered to you, the faithful teaching of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you in rescuing and redeeming a fallen man. And how I know that some of them were among you is your love was not hot. You don't, you don't have a love for one another. You don't have a love for the people of Christ, first of all. You don't have a love for the world either. And so it has demonstrated itself. You were giving an ear to those who are not teaching Christ. Now listen, as a, as a truth on this, consider this, that the more you, the more you relish Christ, the more you worship Christ, the more you walk with Christ, the more you will understand what love is. And the more, by the way, loving you will become. If you know Christ, you know love. If you feel lately that your heart, the Spirit's been speaking to your heart and saying there is just A problem and and i don't know i'm viewing people the right way i feel a little judgmental i feel a little condescending i feel even a little hateful towards people and this is just i'm unsettled and i how can i break free from this spend some time with jesus spend some time with jesus now, rich and full and meaningful worship with the body of believers is one way to spend time with Jesus. But, but get alone and know Jesus. And he will go to work on your heart. And you will learn how to love. There is a love coming at the believer. There is a love coming at you and I from two different directions because of Jesus Christ and his church. And first of all, we are loved by Christ. You are loved by Christ. Oh, I love how Isaiah had expressed it, the Spirit in Isaiah's prophecy. There will be fools in the way, and they will not stray. If you thought that those fools Maybe you had a name for it when we came across that passage. You know a fool. Maybe it's even a Christian fool. But maybe Isaiah was saying there are fools in the way who won't be led astray. They will end up there in Zion. Maybe the greater and more honest way to view that passage is to say, I am the fool. I shouldn't be on the way. You know, Christ loves you even when you're foolish. There's not one ounce of love that is diminished by by any of your lovelessness, by any of your wrecked life, by any of your good intentions never really acted out or acted upon. Oh, Christ loves you with such a full love. One of the indications of his love is that he's willing to say over and over in the New Testament these words about you. You are in Christ. He's not holding you at an arm's length. Jesus isn't sort of pushing you away when you're naughty. When you're anxious. When you fail. When you blaspheme. He doesn't hold you at arm's length away when you're wrong or prayerless. Oh, no. See, Jesus doesn't have a posture like that towards his children. He's not a parent like you and I, not a person like you and I in such respects that depending upon how we act is how much he will love. No, the in Christ means we are immersed inseparably, mysteriously unified with Christ, inseparable with him, is how he loves us. We are in Christ all the time, 24-7, even when we don't acknowledge him, even when we turn our back away from him, we are in Christ. There is no such thing as a believer being out of Christ. Such it is that all throughout the apostles' teaching in the New Testament, we find that we who were far off have been brought near, and we are been called in Christ. In Christ. And because we are united with Christ, we are also then united to one another. We realize all of us, all around us, are united together in the church. And though we come to faith as individuals, we are adopted into the family of God. All those for whom Christ died are brothers and sisters in the Lord. This means that the other redeemed women in our local church are our sisters in Christ. Ephesians 2 says, So then when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And we read this in Ephesians two nineteen to 23 this morning. But we are individuals united together, but we are also churches united together in Christ. And what happens as churches when we're united together in Christ, we recognize that there's some things that happen to us together. Just like as a family, your own family goes through things together, so too the church of Christ And we would even say the churches of Christ, but I think it's more helpful to say the church of Christ suffers together. We experienced this a little bit, I would say even a great amount, even recently as we went through the pandemic together, knowing that other churches of Christ around the world were experiencing suffering. But Peter, as he addresses the churches, he says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, his greeting to the people. To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There are times, and and really, I believe, until Jesus returns, the Church of Christ will be in a world full of turmoil. It will be commonness, a commonness about suffering. I believe one of the greatest parts of the suffering in, in the culture of American Christianity for the church is our suffering brought upon by our cultural, our, the era of our culture today, by the brokenness of our society, by worldliness and worldly thinking that influences us even individually as, as believers beyond what we can really comprehend that belief. There's a common suffering among American churches, not necessarily by overt and outright persecution, but a great suffering nonetheless by spiritual temptation and even by a weariness as we seek to hold the banner of Christ high and are misunderstood and misaligned and often even subjects of faithlessness and failures ourselves. Consider this even in the canonization, that is the inclusion of some of the books in the New Testament for us. For example, we get to read in the Church of Corinth of, of, of problems in the Church of Corinth that we would, we would be embarrassed about if other people, if we had these problems in our church that we were putting up with. We'd be embarrassed if other churches knew, if other churches would read of Jesus's uh, condemnation to us. We're familiar a little bit with that today. In our world, We it seems like nothing is hidden, everything is broadcast, and we learn about people's failures all the time, especially celebrities. But now, here for all time, Corinth but that's given to us. We're a sister church with Corinth. And so we receive the Lord's instruction together. Ephesus and Colossa, Colossae and Philippi, and 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 the churches of Galatia and Thessalonica and all of these churches, Jerusalem. They're receiving instruction, and yet you and I get to read it like it's an open letter. And yes, it is an open letter. God is not ashamed to deal with sin, listen, because he has grace to deal with it. When sin is exposed. Sometimes it does become public, but God is not intimidated by that because he has grace to also make public in the reconciling of everybody who's fallen to himself. In Revelation 2 and 3, he gives great warning to churches. He also gives great promise. And, and then in Ephesians, he speaks of the church and churches in such loving terms, intimate terms, as he considers us in Ephesians 5, and 23, the church being the bride of Christ. And then, and then at the end of the Bible, Some of the very last words of the Bible include this sisterhood of churches and really the people of God. And and it goes like this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. And so the spirit speaks to the churches and he speaks to the lost. But the spirit speaks to the churches and God has specific wisdom for us here, Providence, that's unique to where we're at collectively and individually in our own suburb and subculture of America here in 2023 in the era that we live in, not only the geography, even the history of Christianity, where we are at in that, in view of even the future, the eschatology, the eschaton, the the things that God desires to do with us and for us to us in time to come, but God has specific counsel for us, and we abide together. And this, by the way, one of the reasons why I believe that the preaching of the Word is, is ordained by God, we come together on Sunday mornings to hear from God, from God's Word as providence. God, what do you have for us? What's on the menu today? What, how, how, what are some, some parts of the diet of my soul that I that I didn't know I was hungry for, I did, and I need fed there uniquely to this body that you've called out from Westerville to gather for the fame of your name. So Providence, you're you're like Thessalonica. You're like Colossae. You're like Corinth. God has specific counsel to deliver to you. And by the way, this ought to warn us that we need to be present to receive that counsel. Make every effort that you can to hear from the Word of God through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God and the testimony of the Word of God as it's proclaimed, lived out, exemplified in all of our lives. When we gather, make it a point because you, you are like Ephesus. You need to hear God's Word to rescue you. From yourself first, certainly from a culture. So God has unique truth for you. Now, that also then is common truth. So we read in Ephesians, we read in Colossians, we read this grace. We're like, oh, I need this too. And so we get to read in on, on his letters to the churches. So too is this sisterhood in the church. And so the same counsel that's given to providence also can be repeated, and timelessly so, to every other church as long as it is faithful to the apostles' teaching. So we preach from here something unique and special, but also something simultaneously full of common grace for the children of God. And that is why, by the way, one one reason why When Jennifer and I were in Naisna, we felt so welcomed among the people at Cornerstone Fellowship. It was a common grace. And that is why you feel welcome when you're around other believers. And perhaps even uh, 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 when time comes when you're visiting other churches and with faithful believers. You feel welcome. It's a common grace. There's love coming from two different directions, but there's also love coming from the sisterhood of Christ. Churches need each other. They're interdependent bodies of fellowships under the lordship of Christ. Churches assisted one another in ministry, and they sought advice from one another when they were faced with difficult situations, and they sent money. The early church did to help one another when there was a need, and they they sent and received ministries from individuals from other churches, and they assisted together. They worked together in pastoral training and and in another many ways they were inter- interdependent as congregations. But the apostle John says as he begins his letter in first in second John one one, he says, I love in the truth. John loves them, but he loves them in the truth. And truth is the theme of his letter. And he rejoiced to find that these disciples were were walking in the truth, according to verse number four. And and he says that he loves all who bear the fruit of the truth. Because those who bear the fruit of truth in their life. Listen, not merely the fruit of love, but the fruit of truth. Living in what's true. What God has said is true. They bear about fruit. And fruit, truth is a sign of sisterhood in Christ. Truth and love are inseparable. Our culture today wants to keep them far apart. And that's, that's the joy of our, of our witness, is we get to show the world who has no idea what it's like to live in truth and love simultaneously. We get to show them that, yes, you're right, nobody on earth can live in truth and in love perfectly simultaneously. That's why we need a Savior. A Savior, a God who, if you will, he figured it out. It wasn't a problem, though. It wasn't like he figured it out, but he he brought it to us and he said, I am truth and love. And, And there's no friction there there's no give and take. It's not like a, a seesaw where sometimes there's truth and other times there's love. It's just all poured out your way through Jesus Christ, who is truth and love. And that's what John said to the church. I glory, and I want to call you back unto this this embodiment, this literal, spiritual, mysterious, wonderful, eternal embodiment of truth and love. Jesus Christ. Listen, you and I still haven't figured it out, even though we're trying to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, no matter if you've walked with Jesus Christ for decades. We still haven't found what it is. We think it's a balancing act. It's not a balancing act. It's Jesus. And until we see his face, we'll have a hard time walking in truth and love together. But by his grace, he says, I will will give you the wisdom. I will give you the fortitude. I will give you the grace But learn of me. Learn how this is done. But know that when you fail, I have still superseded that with my redeeming truth and my redeeming love. And so we should not refuse to give ourselves unto the sisterly bonds of the family of Christ. We find that immediately around us is a blood-bought family of Christ, and then more largely, we give ourselves to the greater sisterhood of churches in the kingdom of the Lord. We love one another in the church, and we love other church families in Christ, and how do we know if a church is what we call a sister church? Well, I think there's many parts to that template that we could speak of, but I think if we want to consolidate it down into what we see in John's letter, John says a sister church is a church who knows what the truth is and fearlessly lives out the truth of Christ through its love. And so if a church is preaching the truth of Christ, if a fellowship of people is preaching the truth of Christ, and that truth is transforming them very deeply, their, their lives are demonstrating a love that is a love of Christ, not just a feel-goody love, not just a, a haphazard love, and not just a, a, some sort of woke love where it's, just, where it's just packaged in love for everyone and sort of a, just really general terms, but a love that looks like Christ's love that's rooted and grounded in truth that's a sister church. It might have a different name on its side. It might have a different way of doing things. But if it preaches the Christ of scriptures and that truth of Christ is transforming their lives, then we would say, at least from this part of the template, that would be a sister church. So as we leave this passage, we are given several applications this morning. Number one, we are brothers and sisters, and thereby we must love one another and every church of Christ in the same way. Number two, we have inherited both unique and common graces and, generally speaking, revelations from our Lord. When we come together, there is an intentionality of the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to something about Jesus Christ that you need to hear, that you need to adore. God is very intentional about meeting with you, especially When his body meets together, receive the revelation of God by the body life of the church. The body life of the church in the proclamation of the word. The body life of the church in prayerfulness with one another. The body life of the church in praising God, both in his magnificence scripturally and in his personableness in our lives and what he has done personally, and the body-life of partnership, as we endeavor to link arms and say, I can't do this, but together we can. Together we can minister in this way. Together we can accomplish this goal. Together we can reach this ministry objective. No single one of us can do it, but together we can. And so we receive the revelation in all those ways and more. And then thirdly, we must seize upon the unique role that providence has to play in the place and circumstances that Christ has planted us in. There is a role for us to play here in Westerville. Do you believe that? And it it isn't only demonstrated by the coming together for worship of God On Sundays, God has established us here in Westerville on purpose, in context, in the era, in the time that we're in, in all the world history, and wonderfully and uniquely so with all of our beautiful and ugly faces that fill these chairs and all of our broken stories and all of our weaknesses and all of our inabilities end with our talents and our spiritual gifts and the way we are. And he says, I'm putting providence right here. And so it's ours to seize upon the unique role that we have to play. When followers of Christ join together in such peace, they form churches, and churches begin to look around and fellowship with one another another because they love each other, and they love the truth that one another holds to. And so this morning, I want you to consider and think of it this way, consider letting the teaching of the Word of God seek out and search your heart. Are you living in the truth of a child of the elect lady? A child of providence, but a child of Christ, really? Are you living in, in love in such a way that it has become a fruit of your life? A fruit of living in truth is love. Well, let's pray.